This is a very practical question. How to keep the tone of metta practice so that it doesn't feel like a separate practice? Metta practice is a practice of the heart. And it's very difficult for us to evaluate our practice. But if the tone doesn't feel right, if it feels like a separate practice, then there's something that we're doing that is not integrating it very well. Metta is a way of refurbishing the heart with love, with warmth, with a genuine feeling of deep inner acceptance and care. We have to care for ourselves. If we can care for ourselves, then we can care for others. But we have to feel some tenderness within us, some compassion within us, some appreciation. I'm a good person. I keep precepts. I practice virtue. I try to help other people. And then we in internally celebrate that and forgive all the monsters, all the beings that disappointed you. Truly forgive, even for a moment, because we might die. We don't want to bear any ill will, any hatred, any grudge, any resentment to anyone in the world. At the moment of death, we want everything to be forgiven. Otherwise, we're going to have to come back and do it all over again. That wouldn't be what we want. We really don't want to repeat all the drudgery of what we've been through. But if we can learn to ease into forgiveness, forgiveness precedes metta. It has to. It's a way of seeing that forgive, not forgiving is poison. Not forgiving is actually a kilesa, it's a hindrance. It's like tying yourself up and trying to do a job, with, but you have no hands. When I broke my, or I thought I had a broken arm a year and a half or two ago, I had to eat with my left hand and I was, I was unable to eat certain things. And so one of the nuns had to help me eat or some kind of food, chop it up very small. So if we have a broken hand and we're right-handed, how will we feed ourselves? You want to feed your heart something that is nourishing. It's organic. Everyone wants organic now because it's healthy. What's healthy for the heart? Meta. It's totally organic and health-giving. It will heal the deepest trauma, the deepest wound. But we have to be able to forgive at some level. If we're not forgiving, then we're just doing metta in our heads. It's just an idea. It's like the teacher who doesn't believe that this tradition, this teaching leads to enlightenment. So true metta practice is all about letting go, 
the past, it's dead. But we don't have to die with it. We want to live. We want to really live. We want to embody. We want to inherit our real birthright. Our real inheritance is this teaching, this ability to free our hearts from pain. If other people are throwing painful things at us, we don't have to receive that. We may hear it through our ears. We may see it with our eyes. Look, the world is full of hate. But we don't go and spend our time with people that are hateful towards us. That will bring me to the third question, but let me just finish here. It doesn't mean that we throw them out of our hearts. When we send metta, eventually when we're able to direct a boundless kind of loving feeling in all directions, we don't only send it to the people we like. We send it in all directions unequivocally. It, like the sun, it's universally shining on every insect, on the scorpions and the snakes and the, the animals that eat other animals, the humans that are thieves, criminals. The sun is available to everyone. And so is forgiveness. So is the Dhamma. Available to everyone. Everyone can be rehabilitated. Everyone can be restored. But it takes some doing with in some cases. And it may not happen in this lifetime. But in terms of our own kama, our own karmic predicament, if we can embody and really live fully within this heart and practice metta to ourselves, then we can offer that loving kindness to other beings. And we will naturally want to offer it. If you walk down the street and you see somebody in trouble, are you just gonna keep walking and say, too bad for you? No, you're gonna rush over and, can I help you? That's our, that's our native intuition. It's beautiful. We're like that. We have the ability to reach out to each other. But if we do it from our heads, no. Spontaneously, we'd be right there. Now, what if that was someone that you had had an altercation with? Would you just say, Okay, never mind. I'm 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 out of here. Well, maybe you'd hesitate because you'd recognize somebody who had some not helpful association with you. They'd harmed you, betrayed you. Maybe it's your ex. Maybe they owe you a lot of money and you you're in some court battle. But really, if they were in an accident and bleeding and lying on the ground, would you just walk by? Even if you hated that person, so to speak? Forgiveness, help in that moment, we can reach out and then let karma. Their karma will take care of whatever they are doing that's unskillful, that will be dealt with. 
we have to take care of here what we do. So if we act out of kindness, even to those that have been unkind, then we are bringing healing to the world. Now I could go on and on about that. It's a very important topic. But there's another question. And this is a, a wonderful question. How to integrate the teaching into friendships with fellow addicts in recovery? When is someone's nihilism to be aided by the better off person's positive company? And when is that lack of virtue sobriety in the first person to be avoided as toxic? Hmm. Even though we may be in recovery, I'd like to say that all of us are addicts in recovery of one sort or another. And we work with our addictions. Substance addiction is uh, certainly more challenging because it takes up our mental attention so much. So only you who asked this question can know when is the time to back off. But as long as you're not getting intoxicated with that person, then you can try to encourage them to participate in a, a recovery program. And we have, we have quite a few friends who have been in recovery programs and heard, who are so far along in the, the practice. So we have to recognize that we're helping this person by being a good companion, by being a good influence. And they may lack good influences in their lives. So we try to be present for them and with them to bring them more and more into the field of safety from addiction. But we may not be able to, we certainly um, can't guarantee that we can do that. And if it starts to affect us to an extent where we feel somehow thrown off balance, and we've been in recovery, if you've been in, in recovery and you feel that that's affecting you, then back off a little bit. But never abandon that person if you can avoid it and realize that if they're not sober, you can you can give them limits. You can draw boundaries and say, when you're not sober, don't call me. Don't don't come. But when you're sober, I'll talk to you. And that might be an incentive. Then they know that you're available, but you have standards. And you have to maybe wean them into those standards little by little and keep checking on them anyway. Even if you can't be with them when they're not in a good state. And try to protect them as much as you can. But you must protect your own well-being and your own balance of mind. And only you can judge what that might be. And you can also explain to them, 
listen, this is, you know, you can say, it's, this is too much for me now. But come to me when you're feeling a little better and we'll talk, go for a walk, we'll have a cup of tea. I'm very naive in this area, I have to say it, um, because I've never really been in trouble in that way. I have my other addictions uh, that get me in trouble, but not to this extent of breaking precepts. So the precepts are really important, and maybe it's important to also let that person know that there's forgiveness, and there is compassion, and there is loving kindness, and to emphasize for them that they have that goodness within them, that the, the drugs or the alcohol, whatever they're on, it's not going to take away their basic goodness. There is always recovery. Always the possibility for recovery. For those of us that are deluded, that's a huge delusion. And it's a huge dosa. It's a dose, but there's a lot of anger in there. Many people who turn to substance abuse are angry and traumatized by the world, by conditions, by their karma. Their karmic, karmic predicament is so terrible that they've had to turn to that which cannot rescue them, but it gives them some relief from their pain. And they need compassion more than anything. They, they cannot deal with rejection. We need to connect to them and connect through compassion. So abandoning them would be the worst thing. And they must always know that you're there for them, that you are really a friend, a friend in need, but not at the expense of your own inner strength. And so there, there's a very fine line there and maybe go to a group with them, take them, sit together in, in group meetings and walk with that person whenever you can. What a beautiful thing. I would have to say that you're a saint. Those are saintly qualities. To be able to get through the hell of addiction yourself and then go back to rescue others that's what that's what jesus did that's what the buddha is trying to do for us how many of us have been to hell and back raise your hand hell and back we've all had our hells but fortunately some of us have had smaller hells Hells on wheels. <laughs> and we've been rescued. Hatred is a hell. It's a kind of hell realm. Hatred. How, how many of us fall into hatred? We, we hate what's going on in the world. If we practice hatred, then we're going to hate. But we must practice compassion. Because the path is informing us is giving us the ability to be wise. And bearing hatred is not wise, it's poison. 
it, it will lead us to despair, distress, and greater suffering. But compassion and wisdom go together. They support each other. So if we can be compassionate, we can be wise. And the wiser we get, the more compassion we will have. The Buddha was all compassionate. My teacher, one of my teachers, my teacher in India was shot by one of his disciples. And the moment that he was shot, he said to him, you poor man, you have children, you're going to go to jail for this. We have to see that people only do terrible things and create hell for themselves and each other and a lot of other people too, because they're so ignorant and so deluded and in so much pain themselves that they're acting out on the world. They're going to blame the world and then they're going to try to take over the world in some narcissistic fashion because no one loved them properly. No one taught them the ways of truth and healing and wholeness. And that's what the Buddha teaches us. So if we can turn to others and offer that, it's like reaching to your friend who's addicted and saying, hey man, I'm with you. You're not alone. Hey sister, I'm here. Talk to me. What's, what's hurting? I'll stay with you. I won't leave. But you do have to get some sleep, some rest. We have to be also caring for ourselves. If you can't swim, please don't jump in the river to save the drowning person. Get help. And then if they drown, well, if they've done good in their lives, then their good karma will prevail. And if they've done some harm, then that harm may also accompany them. And someday they will have the opportunity to work out that karma in another life. But we have the opportunity here to work out our karmic predicament in this life as much as we can. About the mantra interfering with meditation, well, one has to be able to use a mantra to get out of thinking, not to think more. So if you're evaluating the mantra, whenever you notice that your mind is getting off track, Bring in your mind the image of someone that is dear to you. Bring in, in your mind a thought of some blessing in your life so that you bring yourself back to center, back to the middle way, back to balance, back to a, a way of rescue of this moment. Land on your breath, land in your heart, be tender to yourself the way maybe tenderness wasn't given before. So now be generous to yourself. And then 
if we're generous with proper attention to ourselves here and now, we will be able to offer that generosity to someone else. And that's how we decrease the delusion, the greed, and the hatred in this world through love alone. Loving ourselves, loving all beings equally, if not more. Because there is no one there. That I didn't talk about enough. Who's suffering? Who is suffering? The owls are always asking, who, who, who's suffering? It's empty. It's empty. So the wheel of Dhamma may stop turning. And then in some eon or some kalpa, some period of time later on, it may start again if another Buddha appears and teaches. But the truth never fades away. And the potential for beings with enough parami is, is there. So thank you for listening.